thankful for that. Genesis 16, and uh, I'm gonna read a scripture out of Proverbs chapter three and verses five through six. You don't have to turn there, but I'm gonna read it really quick for you. The Bible says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your path. Trust is the foundation of every relationship. And I talked to our leaders on Thursday night, some of our core leadership team, about how trust is actually the most valuable thing uh, we have. Uh, when it comes to our relationships with other people. And a man who has lost trust in the Lord is a man whom you cannot put your trust in. All right, well, we'll just, we'll leave that statement there just to marinate for a little bit. Genesis chapter 16, and here's what the Bible says. Now, Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham heeded the voice of Sarah. Then Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. After Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan. So he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Well, duh. <laughs> then Sarah said to Abraham, my wrong be upon you. Wait a second. <laughs> I started this whole thing, but it's your fault. Okay. <laughs> I gave my maid into your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. And the Lord judged between me and you. So now we got marital issues. <sighs> so Abraham said to Sarah, indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. How about this guy? He marries her, gets her pregnant, and then he's like, I'm done with her, she's yours, do it. How about that? This is the father of the faith. <laughs> That's good news for me and you, come on somebody. This fills me with a lot of hope this morning. <laughs> he said, it's your maid, do with her as you please. When Sarah dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, this is God talking, because everyone who we have broken confidence with and mistreated, God will take up their cause. I've not always been Hagar, but I have been Hagar. Sometimes I've been Abram or Sarah, I've, I've mistreated, but sometimes I've been Hagar. And thank God that when I have been mistreated and I have lost my confidence in people, God comes along and he restores me. He, said, he says to her, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarah. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for um, the multitude. Now check this out. This is how God, how faithful God is to his promise. God promised that Abraham's seed would be blessed. And even though Abram did it the wrong way, God still blessed his seed. Because God keeps his promise. Whew. It's an amazing thing to me that God would keep that promise knowing what would happen as the result of Ishmael's life. 
And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you're with child and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You, this, this is the only time God has called this. You are the God who sees. For she said, have also here, have I also here seen him who sees me. Therefore, the well was called Ber Leoroi. Observe, it is between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram's son, and Abram named him son, his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abraham was, Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Is it okay that I read all of that? I want you to see something today, and, and hopefully I've got enough time to, to jump into all of it. If not, we'll, we'll pick it up next week. So Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for who you are. Thank you for your presence that is in this room today. We thank you, God, that even though we have been faithless, you remain faithful. And so God, today, we just ask for you to, over these next few moments, speak clearly to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said amen. Trust, I was saying to you, is the foundation of every relationship. And trust is not something that we give. Trust is something that is earned. And one of the things that happens in the life of Abram is that Abraham, Abram, he expresses faith in God, but faith is a little bit different than trust. Faith is, Hebrews tells us, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So faith by nature doesn't have any proof. That's why when people say, prove to me that God exists, I tell him, I said, I can't, it's by faith. You, there's part of what we're doing today is believing in a God that we have really never seen. We've heard stories about, but we've, maybe, we've, maybe we felt him, but we've never seen God. God has never come down in this room and announced himself and said, hey, I am God. We'd probably all pass out and die from fear or overwhelmed, but, but he's never done that. And so we are putting faith in a God we have not seen. Trust is confidence of someone's ability to keep a promise. When we trust, we are confident in someone or something. Trust is developed. Faith initiates our relationship with God. Well, grace initiates it. Faith opens the door. But trust is developed. That's why when you look at Abram's life, it's a life of faith that is mature. James 2.22 puts it this way. James 2.22 tells us that Abram's faith or Abraham's faith was made perfect, not just because of what he believed, but what he did. When I move into an, the arena of trust, my actions begin to back up what I say I believe in, okay? So I'm saying trust is faith matured. Trust is faith matured. When I put my trust or confidence in someone or something, I'm putting my confidence in them to do what is right, to deliver on what they promised, and to be the same every time, whatever the circumstance is. One of our favorite, our most favorite things about God, we say it all the time in church, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's one of our favorite things about God is the sameness of God. And because he is the same, we can trust him. 
we can trust that when we go to him, he's not gonna turn his face from us. Then when we, when we cry out to him, he is gonna hear us. We, we have confidence because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So trust is the confident belief in someone or something. And as a follower of Jesus, as a child of God, I am called to reflect the nature of God. And so in a world where we trust nothing, we have confidence right now in almost nothing. We have no confidence in the news. <laughs> we, everything is fake news. We have no confidence in sports. We think the playoffs are rigged. How's, how does this happen? I think the NFL is rigged. Everything is rigged. Everything is stacked against us. Nothing is true. Everything is false. And trust is missing in our society. Well, no wonder trust is missing in our society because we as a society have stopped trusting in the Lord. And when you don't trust in the Lord, you are not trustworthy yourself. I cannot put my trust in a man who does not trust the Lord. I can't do it. <laughs> so if, if God is trustworthy and we are called to reflect his nature, what does it look like to be trustworthy? And I know there are people in here today who, like Abram and Sarah, have lost confidence in God, maybe because of his timing, maybe because of what we think is a delay, and because we lose confidence in God, when we lose trust in God, we start to become untrustworthy as people. And so that's why they behaved the way they did towards Hagar, because they weren't trusting God. Now they were untrustworthy as people. And some of the worst moments in my life, I can point back to a time in my life where I didn't trust the Lord. When I've taken advantage of somebody, do you know why I've taken advantage of somebody? Because I didn't trust in God to give me the advantage. And so I had to take advantage. When I didn't trust in God's love for me, I had to fight for other people's love for me because I didn't believe God loved me. And so if God doesn't love me, how can I believe that anybody else would love me? It's a lack of trust in God that causes us to be untrustworthy. And so what do we do to build trust, to reflect the nature of God. First, we have to put our full confidence in God. Come on, as a church, as a nation, we have to turn back to God and put our confidence in him. We have to trust him again. We have to not only believe he is able to do, but we have to believe and trust in his timing to do it and how he will do it. We have to trust God again put our confidence in the Lord again, and it will cause people. See, of all of the groups of people in the world who should not have an issue being trusted, it's the church. But why is it that the church is one of the most least trusted places in all of the world right now? It's because the church has not, we look at the world and say, the world has turned their back on God. No, 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 no. No, it started with us. We turn our back on the Lord. We stop putting our confidence in him and put confidence in ourselves. And no wonder we have what we have. And so how do we turn the tide? How do we get to a place where the world trusts the body again, to where the world believes that the church is telling the truth again? I believe we do that by trusting in him. And when we trust in him, it does something in our life. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a few things that 
reflect the nature of God for the world around us. First one I see is this, it's clarity. Clarity. One of the things that I love about God is the Bible tells me in 1 Corinthians 14 and 33 that God is not the God of confusion, but of peace. He is not a God of confusion, but of peace as in all the churches of the saints. It's an amazing thing to me that we serve a God of clarity and of peace, but the church is the most divided group of people on planet earth. We refuse to come together because of things that we disagree on when we have in common the thing that makes us all who we are. We are in Christ. But we have a lack of clarity and a lack of peace because we, there is no clarity about who we are for and what we are for. I think churches get identified by what they are against and are very rarely seen as what they are for. And we need to bring clarity to this again. We need to bring clarity to this again because clarity unifies, clarity motivates, clarity inspires trust. Clear communication leads to trust. And when we're not double-minded in all of our ways, the Bible says we are not unstable. Sometimes we... We, we can't make a decision and stick with it. We are here one day and here the next day. And the world is looking at us and wondering, where do you really stand? Who are you really? What are you for? And we're, we're fighting in between ourselves. And we're like, we'll get to you after we win this fight with the denomination down the street. So there's no clarity, but God said there's supposed to be clarity. There's not, I'm not an author. I don't, I don't author confusion. I'm the author of peace as in all of the churches of the saints. Clarity involves transparency. And I think that's one of the reasons the world looks at us and says, we can't see you clearly. So we won't follow you closely because we're not transparent. Church is the place you go and hide all of your stuff and stuff away all of your issues and act like you've got it all together. <laughs> but that's not, that's not what God intended for the church. It was not to be a place where we hide our issues, but where we confess our issues and talk to each other about our problems and, and put it all out there so that people can see and we can pray for one another and stand with one another and agree with one another. And that's why God wants the church to be transparent. I had somebody tell, somebody told me one time I got, I got done speaking and I had shared something about my life and they said, don't say that about yourself. Don't tell people that about you because you want them to believe that all your prayers get answered. <laughs> I said, I said, sometimes I've prayed and, and God didn't do what I asked him to do in prayer. Sometimes I wonder, did God, God, do you hear my prayers? Are you answering my prayers? And I'm saying this stuff and, and I get done and they say, don't say that. Don't say that to people because you want them to think. And I'm like, no, I want them to see. I don't want them to think something about me that is not true about me. Because if you start to think stuff that's not true about me and then the real me shows up, then you'll be disappointed. But how can you be disappointed if you expected it? I told you I was a mess. You won't be disappointed when I act like a mess. 
But if I tell you I'm perfect and everything's right and God hears all of my prayers and answers all of my prayers and I've never been sick a day in my life, <laughs> I'll never forget I, I, was, I was in a service and a guy was telling a story about how he was healthy his whole life, never been sick. And in that moment, he got nauseous and threw up on the stage. God was like, what'd you say again? What, what was that you said? Because he was telling people, he was like, you can live with such faith that you never get sick and you never struggle and you never have a need. I'm like, what Bible did you read? And he must have watched a lot of TBN growing up because I never, that wasn't the life I experienced. There's gotta be a clarity to what we're doing. There's gotta be a transparency to what we're doing. We are real people who have been saved by the grace of God. He, we, we, we look at other people and we think, oh man, them, 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 them. And God says, wait, that, that would be you except it be for the grace of God. And, and the apostle said, hey, the church was made up of people just like that. Of such were some of you. So there's gotta be a clarity and clarity begins with transparency. People will never follow closely until they see clearly. Second thing I see about trust, trust is developed when we, when we show compassion. When we have compassion. Matthew 9, 36, the Bible says about Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. See, there's no clarity in Abram and Sarah's situation. They've stopped trusting God, so there's no clarity, so they start to come up with their own ideas, right? Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. They have begun to lean on their own understanding. They've come up with this plan. It's, it's, they aren't clear as to what God is doing because they've lost confidence. When they lose clarity, now they lose compassion and they just, they just grab Hagar and treat her as she's just this thing that they can trade back and forth. Here, she's mine, I'll give her to you. Well, no, she, once I've used her for what I needed her for, no, she doesn't belong to me, she's actually your problem. Where's the compassion? Compassion is lost because they've, started, they've stopped trusting God. And when we stop trusting God, we lose compassion for other people because when we stop trusting God and we get hurt or we get, or we get talked about or we get abused, then all of a sudden we don't trust God, so now we have to take vengeance. God said, vengeance is mine. So when somebody hurts me, I have to trust God. And if I don't trust God, then I'll be trying to get back at everybody that hurts me. So compassion is a sign that I've put my confidence in the Lord. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. This is Jesus, the son of God, holy, purity, come from heaven. And he looks at humanity. And instead of looking at humanity and say, golly, look at them. You believe the condition of America? <laughs> Look at them. They're terrible. Now he looked at the condition and he said, now my heart breaks for them. They're like sheep without a shepherd. <laughs> Does your heart break for the country or do you want God to come and judge the country? Because you might get caught up in that judgment. Let's just be sure about that because the Bible says it begins in the house of the Lord. So our big cry is for God to come judge is actually a cry for God to come judge us. So 
Or would you rather them look at you and say, my heart breaks. What they really need is a shepherd. They need someone to love them, to have compassion for them, to care about them, to show them the way that they should walk in. He said they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, caring leads to trust. You remember the old saying, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. John Maxwell wrote these, he called them the four laws of caring. And I'll give these to you really quickly. L-A-W-S, four laws of caring. L, listen. Listen. Every response from God you see in the Old Testament, what do you hear him say? I have heard the cry of my people. So he hears the cry of his people, here comes Moses. He hears the cry of his people, here comes Samson. He hears the cry of his people, this is what God does. He listens for the cry. Was it Jonah that said, I cried out from the depths and he heard me. I was in the belly of my own rebellion, Jonah says, and he heard my cry. He hears first. The Bible says that he is, he is slow to wrath. He is quick in his mercy. How does he do that? How does he have that type of restraint when it comes to his holiness and his justice? Because believe me, he is a just God. How does he hold back that type of justice? It's that he's quicker in mercy than he is in judgment. How does he do that? Because he listens first. He hears. And we cannot have compassion for people we won't listen to. If you have already established your argument, you will never have compassion. If you have already, see there, I wanna go so many places right now, but I don't have time for it. But in the world today, there are so many issues out there, right? So many serious issues on race and other things. And if we have already established our position, no wonder we can't have compassion because we won't listen to anybody. We've already established where we're coming from. <laughs> appreciate. You have to appreciate. He said you have to wake up. Jesus said to the disciples, he said, hey, look up. The hills, they're wide under harvest. You gotta wake up and see it. Wake up and serve others. Serve others. Caring leads to trust. Third thing I see is character. Titus chapter two, verses seven through eight says, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that any opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. Wow. That's a powerful thought. He says, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. We weren't saved by good works, but church, we were saved for good works. And in your teaching, whenever you are in a position of authority in anybody's life, in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. That's when you're, that's when you're talking to your kids. That's when you're talking to your wife 
Oh, man, that's when you're talking to your coworkers. That's when you're talking to your boss. That's when you're at a ball game. He says, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. Oh, man. 2 Corinthians 8 and 21, the apostle says here, he says, he says, for we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. Some people are like, I don't care what anybody thinks. Well, you should, because God cares what people think about his people. Come on, somebody. God cares. God actually cares about this. I don't care what people think. No, that's when, when, when we when we say that, I hear what we're trying to say. I, I'm, I'm you know, I don't care if they're judging me. I don't care if the, and, and all of that is good if they're if they're judging you. But if they're if if <laughs> if they are coming at you because you're a liar and because you're a thief and because you've done wrong and you're like, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. You should reconsider that position because God actually does care because you represent heaven. You are supposed to reflect heaven in the earth. The apostles say we do care about what is right in God's sight and about what is right in front of men. See, because there is not there is a faith that justifies us before God, but our works justify us before mankind. It's what the whole book of James is talking about. There is this belief in God. I confess with my mouth under repentance and I believe in God and I am saved. But faith without works is dead. And so the Bible's saying there is, there is a faith in God that saves my soul, but there is a work associated with that faith that makes me look saved in front of other people. <laughs> we don't talk about that a whole lot, do we? Because we'd rather stay over in this lane. But God is saying there is, there is a lifestyle that you, you live that I'm interested in. And how you look in front of other people. I'm interested in what people think about you and what people think about the church. It matters. Oh, man. It matters. Having character includes having integrity. Being consistent in my thoughts, in my words, in my actions. Character is not formed in one day. It is through continued work and intentional effort. That's another word we don't like in church. Effort. <laughs> We don't like that one either, but it is through work and effort that we maintain our character and our integrity. <laughs> integrity, when you, when you look at a, a ship and you say that ship has integrity or that boat has integrity, that you're literally saying there's no leaks. Nothing's, nothing's leaking. It's all of the holes have been filled in. All of the gaps have been closed up. It's not that there weren't gaps. It's not that there weren't holes. It's just that now because of Christ, they have been filled in. And where I was comfortable with telling a lie every now and then before, I'm not comfortable with that anymore because I'm concerned about my integrity. Where I was comfortable just cheating a little bit before, I'm not comfortable with that anymore because I want to have integrity. Where I was comfortable taking advantage of somebody before, I'm not comfortable with that anymore because I want to have integrity. Where I was comfortable cheating on my taxes before, I'm not saying I did all of this stuff, I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm not comfortable with that anymore because I'm concerned about my integrity. I want God to be pleased. I want people to see God in me. Amen. Character. Uh, the fourth one I see is competency. 1 Samuel 16 and 18, 
the Bible says about David, they're looking for somebody to minister to Saul. And the Bible says this about David. It says, one of the servants answered and said, hey, I've seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine looking man. And the Lord is with him. Notice that fine looking man is the last thing. He leads with he's a son of Jesse. Because you never will truly be a good leader until you have been a good son. You have to be able to follow before you lead. It's, I would be very weary of or wary of people who have been put into leadership positions who have never been tested with sonship. It's very dangerous. Adam was created full-grown man. He was given authority, lost it. Jesus was born, grew in favor with God and with men, and he held on to his authority. Leadership grown into is, is kept better than leadership handed to. Whew, that's good. Competency, so he's a son first, and he knows how to play the liar, the Bible says. It's not just that I know somebody's son and he, he's, I mean, he carries a guitar. Like, no, he can actually competently play the guitar. There's a trust gain when we are competent at what we do. It's just true. Have you, ever, have you ever thought of a job you needed to get done and you said, if I ask this person, I know it's gonna get done, but if I ask them, I know it's not gonna get done. Why, that's a competency thing. I know that they will get it done. People trust people who can do the job. Fifth one, commitment. Second Timothy four and seven, I have fought the good fight of faith. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. The strongest leaders in our history and the strongest leaders in church history have had an unwillingness to give in when things were tough. Because sometimes when things get tough, we settle for what's convenient and we settle for what's easy and we settle for what makes us less tired and we settle. Trusted people are committed people that stay committed to their cause and will settle for nothing less than the fullness of what was supposed to happen, what was supposed to take place. We'll go out of our way. Committed people will go out of their way to make great sacrifices for their cause and for other people. Committed people are the people who stick with you during difficult times. Committed people are the ones who didn't turn their back on you when you went through what you went through. Committed people are the ones who, when it wasn't convenient to be your friend, remained your friend. Committed people are the ones who, when it wasn't convenient to stay in church, stayed in church. That's what a committed person looks like. We don't know. You can say, I'm with you till the end, but you're not really with me until you stayed with me when you've had every opportunity to leave. You're not truly committed. Committed people. Commitment. We can trust committed people. We, de we develop a history. And so we know when, it, when things get tough, that person's committed. The sixth one I see is generosity. Proverbs eleven twenty four through 25, the message translation puts it this way. It says, the world of the generous gets larger and larger, and the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. 
the one who blesses others is abundantly blessed and those who help others are helped themselves. Givers understand this, generous people understand this. The more you give, the more you receive. <laughs> Proverbs 18 and 16 says, your gift opens the way and ushers you into the presence of great men. Not your talent, literally your gift. My generosity will open more doors for me than my talent will ever open for me. Because I can trust a generous person. I can't always trust talented people. Sometimes talented people don't wanna work as hard as people who don't have the talent. So I can trust a committed person, but I can't always trust a talented person. I can trust a generous person because a generous person is not concerned with themselves. They understand this principle. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. So what I have belongs to God first, and it's here, and I have it for other people. Generous people, their world just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. <laughs> what can I give? I can give my attention. As a, as a generous person, my, my faith becoming trust, my trust being the maturing of my faith. If, I am, if I'm a generous person and my faith is maturing, then I am acknowledging others more and more and more. My desire is not for me to get acknowledgement, it's for others to get acknowledgement. It's for others to be known, for others to be seen. I, I'm generous with my resources. I should be known as a person who gives more and more and more and more every year because if I'm really truly generous, then I'm getting, I'm receiving more, right? And so as I'm receiving more, then I should be giving more. So in other words, a generous person, your, your giving should always increase because your world just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And what was generous last year isn't generous this year. Come on, somebody. That's the way it should look. And my time, am I being generous with my time? Am I being generous with my opportunity? I've been given such a great opportunity to lead such an incredible thing, but I'm, am I being generous with this opportunity? Am I giving away leadership? Am I allowing other people to have opportunity? Am I, is this platform just for me or is it for other people? Woo! Generous people. Seventh one is consistency. Consistency is about self-discipline. People, people, people don't wanna follow undisciplined people. You ever want, you ever wondered, you, <laughs> I never forget, I had this kid, he was like, I, he came to me he constantly, he's like, Rob, I wanna, I wanna respect my dad, I wanna follow my dad, but it's hard to respect my dad when every time he's disciplined me, he's drunk. How am I supposed to receive discipline from someone who is undisciplined? I need to be consistent. Without consistency, all of these previous thoughts will fall and falter. If I'm not consistently generous, if I'm not consistently committed, come on, if I'm not consistently a man or a woman of character, if I'm not consistently clear, all of these fall apart. I've got to be consistent. One of the things that I, I love over the years of being in this church is the consistency of some people. 
And one of the, there, there's something about when you see someone and their attitude is the same every time you see them. It's not that they don't have ups and downs. It's just that when you look at them, they constantly look at you the same way. And over the years, there's been somebody in our church and he's usually back here on the, on the Congos. But I don't know if you've, if, you've, if you've noticed this about Glenn Hudson, but when you, when you see Glenn, he's, he's the same. He's consistent. How is that possible? He's put his confidence in a God who is consistent. And when he sees the consistency of God, it's a natural reflection for him in his life. And I'm just telling you, consistency will make a world of difference. A world of difference. See, sometimes to correct, we overcorrect, right? Sometimes we're in a car and we see something and we go like this and we cause an accident when it was just a raccoon. Why do we do that? Because it's in our nature when we see something that needs to be changed to to radically change it. And we think, man, if I, I gotta make a radical shift. No, sometimes a radical shift will hurt other people. You just need to start being consistent. Just start being the same. That, that radical change, that's not what you need. That can hurt somebody. That consistency of life. Sometimes with our kids, we're like, they aren't listening to me. I gotta ground them for six years and take their cell phone and beat them and no, 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 no. What are you talking? No, just become consistent with your discipline. See, if you all of a sudden start spanking a kid you have never spanked, that's not consistency. <laughs> now you're acting out of character. I told my dad years ago, I said, dad, you got it. This person in the church, they're being mean and you need to deal with them and you need to talk to them. You need to... He said, Rob, if, if I act like that, then I will be seen as inconsistent because I have never acted like that. And if I act out of character, people won't trust my character. Woo! So consistency is what my character stands on. Just consistent. Is that all right? All right, will you stand with me this morning? I got through all of them, praise the Lord. <laughs> I'm a little over in the parking lot crew is going to beat me up after this, but I apologize, guys. Today, we see in this story of Abram and, and Sarah, the result of not trusting God. It causes chaos in our life. It causes chaos for others. It hurts other people. It damages our relationships. Let's be trustworthy people. Amen. Let's reflect the nature of God. The Bible says some would trust in horses, some would trust in chariots, but we will put our trust, come on, in the name of our God. Can you say amen today? Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for this day. We ask that you begin to develop and mature our faith, that we would move out of a realm where we just say, God, you can do it, but we, we actually trust in your timing to do it. We trust in your character to do it. And we don't jump out in front of you and do what you are trying to do supernaturally. Sarah said, the Lord has made me barren. And she was accurate. She was unable to produce at that time because what God wanted to do in her was so miraculous that he wanted to get all of the glory. And so don't, don't let us jump out in front of you. Even when an area sometimes seems locked up in our life, don't let us make a bad decision because we don't trust you with the timing or trust you to do something supernatural. 
So Father, forgive us for the times where we've moved out ahead and we have hurt people and we've hurt ourselves. And help us, God, to begin to build trust again with the people around us, with the world we live in, on our jobs, in our marriages, with our children. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. Amen. Come on, one more time. Can we just bless the Lord for his presence in the room today? He's been good. He's been good.